Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, this is Amit. On behalf of all of us at Cardio Nerds, we are thrilled to bring to you our Decipher the Guidelines series for the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite-sized, high-impact clinical vignette-based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting-edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and created for educational purposes only. This series was developed by the Cardi Nerds and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college student through advanced fellows with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bazanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance along the way. So friends, join us as we get to learn about the Heart Failure Guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. And now, let's get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 7.1 of the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA Guidelines for the Management of Heart Failure. The question is asked by New York Medical College medical student and Cardinard's intern, Akiva Rosesweig, answered first by Cornell Cardiology Fellow and Cardinard's Ambassador, Dr. Jaya Kanduri, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Clyde Yancey. Dr. Yancey is Professor of Medicine and Medical Social Sciences, Chief of Cardiology, and Vice Dean for Diversity and Inclusion at Northwestern University, and a member of the AHA ACC HFSA Heart Failure Guideline Writing Committee. We're honored to have you with us, Dr. Yancey. Delighted to be here. Thank you so very much. Let's get started. Thanks, Ahmed. Hey, Jaya, I have a patient who keeps coming back with heart failure exacerbations, and I could really use your help with her management. This is Miss L, who is a 65-year-old woman with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy with a left ventricular ejection fraction of 35%, hypertension, and type 2 diabetes mellitus. She has been admitted to the hospital with decompensated heart failure twice in the last six months and admits that she struggles to understand how to take her medications and adjust her sodium intake to prevent this. Which of the following interventions has the potential to decrease the risk of rehospitalization and or improve mortality? A. Access to a multidisciplinary team, including physicians, nurses, pharmacists, social workers, care managers, amongst others, to assist with management of her heart failure. B. Engaging in a mobile app aimed at improving heart failure self-care. C, vaccination against respiratory illnesses. Or D, both A, access to a multidisciplinary team. And C, vaccination against respiratory illnesses. Thanks, Akiva. The correct answer is actually D, both A, access to a multidisciplinary team. And C, vaccination against respiratory illness. Choice A is correct. Multidisciplinary teams involving physicians, nurses, pharmacists, social workers, care managers, dietitians, and others have been shown in multiple randomized control trials, meta-analyses, and Cochrane reviews to both reduce hospital admissions and all-cause mortality. As such, it is a class one recommendation with level of evidence A that patients with heart failure should receive care from multidisciplinary teams to facilitate the implementation of goal-directed medical therapy address potential barriers to self-care, reduce the risk of subsequent rehospitalizations for heart failure, as well as improved survival. Choice C is also correct. In patients with heart failure, vaccinating against respiratory illnesses is reasonable to reduce mortality with a class 2A level of evidence B and R. 
For example, administration of the influenza vaccine in heart failure patients has been shown to reduce all-cause mortality and hospitalization. Choice B, engaging in a mobile app aimed at improving heart failure self-care, is incorrect. Self-care in heart failure comprises treatment adherence and health maintenance behaviors. Patients with heart failure should learn to take medications as prescribed, restrict sodium intake, stay physically active, and get their vaccinations. They should also understand how to monitor for signs and symptoms of worsening heart failure and what to do in response to symptoms when they do occur. Interventions focused on improving the self-care of heart failure patients significantly reduces hospitalizations and all-cause mortality, as well as will improve quality of life. Therefore, patients with heart failure should receive specific education and support to facilitate heart failure self-care in a multidisciplinary manner. And this has a class one level of evidence BR. However, the method of delivery and education does matter. Reinforcement with structured telephone support has been shown to be effective. In contrast, the efficacy of mobile health-delivered educational interventions in improving self-care for patients with heart failure remains uncertain. So our main takeaway here is that implementation of multidisciplinary care teams has been proven to reduce rehospitalization and mortality in heart failure patients. While education on self-care of heart failure patients is important, not all delivery methods have been shown to be effective at this time. Dr. Yancey, we would love to hear from you at this point in terms of how best to incorporate the use of multidisciplinary teams and delivery methods in order to engage our heart failure patients and how we can leverage digital health technologies towards achieving these goals. Well, Dr. Rosenberg, Dr. Kanduri, thank you for bringing forward a very important clinical question. You are correct to emphasize the asset, the benefit of a multidisciplinary approach. Certainly, that is one of the constant observations in clinical trials and observational data that those patients status post-hospitalization for an episode of decompensated heart failure who transition to multidisciplinary care team fare better than those who don't. But let's really think about this case with a little bit more depth. Let's go back and look at the pertinent details. This is a 65-year-old woman with multiple episodes of decompensated heart failure, non-ischemic etiology reduced ejection fraction heart failure, and the important concomitant comorbidity of diabetes, it is essential to understand her current medical regimen in detail and to optimize that regimen as much as possible. There's a moment of time here that we want to grasp. There's a high event rate at the time of transition from inpatient to outpatient care. That event rate is as high as a 10% risk of death at 30 days after an episode of acute decompensated heart failure. I would not take much comfort or solace in referring a patient solely to a multidisciplinary care team and believe that we've executed the best care for this patient. Yes, that is important, but I would declare that to be de minimis. I think we have to look very carefully at the medical regimen. There is a strong indication for a sodium glucose co-transporter inhibitor 2 in this setting, provided that renal function is appropriate and that this patient isn't concomitantly receiving insulin. If the provisos that I've just outlined are met, it really is important for this patient to be exposed to an SGLT2 inhibitor. Why? Because the data points that are available demonstrate that agnostic of EF within weeks of the initiation of an SGLT2 inhibitor there's a reduction in multiple important clinical endpoints like morbidity, that is rehospitalizations, and even mortality, particularly patients with reduced ejection fraction heart failure. So that's another very important takeaway. Moreover, we need to understand prognostically 
What's the scenario that's just been outlined? 65-year-old woman with multiple readmissions and at least one important comorbidity of diabetes. If there's yet another comorbidity of some component of chronic renal disease, we've now identified someone that has easily, easily a 50-plus percent likelihood of yet another readmission in six months and nearly a 25% likelihood of death at one year. This is a scenario that requires intensive focus, and all of our efforts should be engaged to attempt to thwart the progression of this disease. This is that component of heart failure that is not benefited greatly from evidence-based therapies. If you will allow, Jaya, and I hope you don't mind me calling you by your first name, but let me extend that concept even further. We have additional other therapies now, particularly for patients that fall into this stage C category, not yet stage D, but clearly are having progressive disease. What might those agents be? Already approved is Versaguad, appropriate for patients with reduced ejection fraction, heart failure recently admitted, not thriving, still having symptomatic heart failure. We have carboxyferous maltose, that is IV iron, same sort of scenario. These interventions are proven to be beneficial by randomized controlled trials. So we shouldn't just stop at the limits of the multidisciplinary team, but rather we should think about what are the other circumstances that are reasonable to consider in a case like this. This patient is going in a direction of great concern, and we need to think about all of the other interventions that might be worthwhile. Two other comments about this case that really merit important mention. In the 2022 AHA, guidelines, we have one particular section that is incredibly relevant for this case. We review those domains where we don't have sufficient evidence to provide a clear recommendation for care. One of those specific domains is this dictum of sodium restriction in patients with heart failure. We simply don't have evidence that this is, in fact, not only the right thing to do, but is there, in fact, maybe some harm in doing so? We should be very careful how rigorously we enforce sodium restriction, understanding that particularly for older patients on a limited flow of income, it's much more difficult to access a low-sodium diet. So there is some more depth here required to understand the importance of that particular proviso. So we should keep that clearly in mind. And then a word about digital health. Certainly, we were not able to endorse digital health as an adjunctive strategy in contemporary care for 2022. But we must recognize the necessity for ongoing research to understand where do wearables play a role, where does step count play a role. Are there new forms of digital technologies that might make a difference here? Let me suggest to you something very provocative that was just discussed at the recent Heart Failure Society of America annual scientific sessions. Technology now exists that when applied to telehealth interventions can actually use machine learning algorithms to understand by the character of a patient's voice whether or not there might be impending decompensation that is lung water. Imagine what happens when we have a strategy as simple as speaking to our patients regularly on the phone, which we do now as a matter of routine, eliciting a signal that we might need to consider early intervention that would make some difference here. So there's lots of depth here. But all of it needs to be in the context of a patient that has a progressive heart failure syndrome that could have important consequences. Thank you so much, Dr. Yancey and Jaya. What a terrific answer, not just on follow-up, 
but also on disease-modifying therapy and prognostication with attention to social determinants of health. Thank <laughs> you.